Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. This can be found on page 1021 of your Pew Bible. Jesus began his ministry by preaching in his hometown of Nazareth. There he read the words of the prophet Isaiah, claiming to be the messianic servant of the Lord described in the text. A reading from Luke chapter 4, beginning with the 16th verse. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the cliff on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Years ago when I was in seminary, I felt pretty good about where I was. I loved the Lord, I obeyed his call to go into ministry, and God was using me to minister to people. At school, I became known as the prayer warrior among friends and classmates, and they would often come seek me out for prayer. On the outside, people saw me as someone deeply spiritual. But deep down, no one knew that I was wrestling with fear, anxiety, and depression. You see, back then, I was so blinded by what God was doing on the outside, I had no awareness of what was happening on the inside to see my true spiritual condition. But then all of that changed when I went on a missions trip one summer to Honduras to serve the poor and needy. We were distributing supplies to people who lived in tin shanty homes with no running water or electricity. 
and telling them about Jesus. And I remember meeting a woman who was missing a leg, but she had the most beautiful smile. And I asked her, is there anything that you would like Jesus to do for you in prayer? She looked at me and she said, I have Jesus and I have my Bible. I have everything I need. I was stunned by her answer. Here she was living in the slums with no access to food or clean water. And she had everything she needed because she had Jesus. This woman had something that I didn't have. She had joy and satisfaction in God that wasn't dependent on our earthly circumstances. And it was at that moment I realized that my true spiritual condition had nothing to do with my gifts or what was happening on the outside, but had everything to do with my heart. Even though physically I was in a better position than she was, deep down, I was spiritually poor. And I longed to feel the joy and the peace that she carried. You know, at times, it may not be easy to see what's really going on on the inside. Whether it's pride, fear, shame, or just lack of awareness, most of us are blind when it comes to our own spiritual poverty. And this morning, we're going to see in our text that this is the reason why Jesus came to earth. He came for the spiritually blind, the poor, the captive, and the oppressed to reveal our true spiritual condition, and to be our solution. And we have the choice either to humble ourselves and graciously receive what Jesus offers, or we can choose to get defensive, be in denial, and reject him completely. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus makes his public debut in his hometown of Nazareth. He's 30 years old. He just launches public ministry, and word was beginning to spread about him all throughout the region of Galilee. His visit to Nazareth would have been like a homecoming, where he was warmly embraced by his family and friends. Now, back in the day, it was customary for visiting rabbis to be given the honor of reading and preaching at the synagogue. And synagogue services back then was not too different from what you would expect here on a Sunday morning. The people would pray together, hear readings from God's word, and a sermon would be preached. And since Jesus was a familiar face, his community would have welcomed him as their guest preacher. And it just so happened that on the day Jesus was in town, the scroll that was handed to him was the prophecy from Isaiah about the coming Messiah. So let's read what Jesus says as he reads this prophecy, starting in verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now imagine that you're one of the Jews at the synagogue. Your people have been waiting for over 700 years for the fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah. And according to this prophecy, the coming Messiah would redeem the poor, the blind, the captive, and the oppressed. He would restore all that was lost at the year of the Lord's favor, which refers to the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee was instituted by God for the nation of Israel in Leviticus chapter 25. It was celebrated every 50 years as a special sabbatical year after seven cycles of seven years. That word Sabbath is associated with rest. And during the year of Jubilee, there was to be no sowing or reaping so that land could rest. Any outstanding debts were canceled. Property was returned to its original owners. And any slaves, servants, and prisoners were released from their captivity. It was a year of freedom, celebration, and restoration for God's people and creation. This was the very reason why Jesus came to earth. This was his purpose, his mission statement. By reciting the words of Isaiah, Jesus was claiming that he was the Messiah who came to fulfill the year of Jubilee on a much grander scale that not only applied to Jews or to land, but to all people, canceling the debt of sin and providing freedom and restoration for mankind. Jesus was good news to the poor, the blind, the captive, and the oppressed. All descriptors of the human condition. First, Jesus is good news to the poor. This includes both the materially poor and the spiritually poor. How many of you know that you can have material, material wealth, but be spiritually poor? Like I was in seminary, dealing with fear and anxiety, depression. But on the flip side, you can be materially poor, but be spiritually rich. Like that woman from Honduras who didn't have much money, but she had spiritual wealth that I didn't even know about. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we think of poverty through our earthly lens, we tend to see it as something negative and undesirable, something that we work hard to avoid. But according to Jesus, it's considered a blessing to be poor, because it's only when we recognize our poverty that we can then be in the posture to receive from God and all that he has for us. So if there's anyone here today who's feeling poor, you're in a good place. Because now you can come to Jesus with open hands and an open heart and receive from him. And the truth of the matter is, no matter how much money's in the bank, spiritually, we are all poor. Every single one of us living on this earth have a debt of sin that we cannot pay. 
And that is why it's good news that Jesus came for the poor because he's canceled our debts. Second, Jesus came for the blind. Now we see that throughout his ministry, Jesus healed a lot of blind people and opened their eyes so they could see. But he also spoke of those who had physical eyes but couldn't see in their hearts. He said this often about the Pharisees. They were religious leaders of the day, studying God's word day and night, and yet they couldn't recognize the Messiah, even though Jesus was right there in front of them. They were spiritually blind. And similarly, all of us at one point were spiritually blind until the Holy Spirit came and opened our eyes to Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Even after we come to Christ, he still opens our eyes. Even to this day, God is still opening my eyes to more of him and to new things that I'm not even aware of. As humans, we tend to have blind spots when it comes to our own sin patterns. But thank God that the Holy Spirit is always leading us to truth. That's the beauty of having a relationship with Jesus. As you walk with him, he will give you eyes to see more of him and see yourself a little more clearly. Third, Jesus is good news to the captives. Imagine a prisoner behind bars who's been stripped of their freedom. While we may not be in a literal prison, we may find ourselves in a spiritual prison. We can't help but think, say, or act out things that can harm and even destroy us and the people we love. We become captive to greed, fear, pride, unbelief, shame, lust, offense. And when you've been captive to something for a long time, it can eventually lead to oppression that greatly impacts your quality of life. It can rob you of your peace, your joy, your time, your finances, and even your health. And living in a fallen world, we were all prisoners of sin. And for some of us, that sin has run so rampant in our lives that we have become physically, spiritually, and mentally oppressed because of it. But praise God, Jesus came to set the captives free. When Jesus went to the cross, he took on all of our sins and oppression and served out our sentence, which is the death penalty. That means that we don't have to live in bondage to sin anymore. We've got something way better than what the Jews had through the year of Jubilee. We don't have to wait for 50 years to come by just so we can experience freedom. We can embrace it here and now. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross... We get to live each day like it's the year of Jubilee. 
As Jesus spoke these truths to the Jews of Nazareth, at first, the people are on board. They're like, this is great. Here's our hometown boy, Jesus, and he's come back here to teach this great word with us. It says in the first part of verse 22 that all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth until he began to expand expand on the word today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing here was the surprise these guys had waited over 700 years for the promised messiah the one who would save heal deliver them from oppression and here was jesus saying hey guys i'm the one that isaiah prophesied about the long wait is finally over jubilee is here and what was their response it says by the end of verse 22 they're like but wait a minute isn't this joseph's son why were they so stumped i think it's helpful for us to know that back in jesus time nazareth was an obscure village where maybe 100 to 500 people lived everyone knew everyone so the people at the synagogue most likely knew Jesus as a young boy, saw him grow up and take on the trade of his earthly father, Joseph, as a carpenter. They could not believe that the promised Messiah could be Joseph's son, a carpenter. That would be like saying that your local handyman down the block was a chosen one who came to save you from sin. Perhaps they were expecting Israel's Messiah to come from a more prestigious background instead of such humble origins. Their question, isn't this Joseph's son? Not only revealed their insult, but also their refusal to believe who Jesus claimed to be. So then Jesus goes on to tell two more stories, one about the widow of Zarephath, and second, Naaman the Syrian. Now, both are fascinating stories from First and Second Kings, and I encourage you to read them on your own this week. For the sake of time, we're not going to get into here. But what I will point out from those stories is that both Naaman and the widow who experienced God's miracles are Gentiles. This is what infuriates the Jews of Nazareth. They were the descendants of Abraham, God's chosen people. So if there were any spiritual blessings to be had, they should have been the ones to get him. But by referencing these stories, Jesus exposed their unbelief saying that God's gift of salvation would be offered to anyone who believed, even to Gentiles. This infuriated them so much that they tried to drive Jesus off a cliff, but luckily he escapes since it was not yet his time. Isn't it interesting that at first the Jews of Nazareth are speaking well of Jesus, but as he keeps talking, they get angrier and angrier that by the end of his sermon, they want to kill him. As a preacher, that is terrifying to think about. <laughs> and thankfully, we don't have any cliffs nearby the church. Praise the Lord. But why such hostility? I think Jesus' words in verse 24 gives us some insight. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's those closest to you that seem the most difficult to reach? I once heard the saying that 
Family is one of the hardest mission fields. It's one thing to tell a complete stranger about Jesus, but when you're witnessing to a parent, a child, or a sibling, there's more risk involved. Perhaps it's because we know our families a little too well, and they know us a little too well. We know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And sometimes that can be an obstacle for sharing our faith. And if you've ever felt that struggle of longing to see a loved one come to Christ, you are not alone. I think a lot of us in this room have been there. Last week, I got to celebrate my spiritual mom's 92nd birthday. She's an amazing woman of God, my hero, my role model of the faith. And when she first came to Christ, she was in her early 40s. And at first, she was the only one that was saved in her family. But for over the next 50 years, she began to pray for every single one in her family, her circle. And in those 50 years, every single person on her prayer list came to Christ. Even the ones who were the most difficult, who had the greatest opposition to the gospel, all eventually came to Christ. What was her secret? She didn't give up, but she continued to pray for their salvation and share the good news, trusting that God was working. While it may not be easy for us to witness to our family and friends, God is faithful to plant, water, and nurture every seed that's planted. But I also think that we need to give ourselves a little grace recognizing that it might take time for our loved ones to come around. They may seem far away from God at the moment, but that does not mean God is not listening to our prayers. He is working behind the scenes. He's the God of family, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if he's got you, then that means he has a plan for your entire household. So let's keep praying. Keep believing and keep telling them about Jesus. Because guys, we are living in the days of Jubilee right now. Jesus came and fulfilled this prophecy in Isaiah. And now the same Holy Spirit that moved through him empowers us to go out and do the same. So let's go church. Let's tell everyone about Jesus. For the spirit of the Lord has now come upon you because he has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He's called you to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed free and to proclaim their ear of jubilee. Glory to God. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.